Could your hidden but publicly available government resources help your business grow? My next guest, Alala Ninjanga, says absolutely yes. And in a minute, we'll find out what she's talking about and how you can tap into this buried treasure trove for your own business growth and success. She's a respected and trusted business advisor, an Ivy League business expert, best-selling author, and no-nonsense lawyer. She's Hannah Hassel-Kelchner. Whether you're an entrepreneur or an intrapreneur working for someone else, I want to give you the inside scoop on how to ignite more business success by doing the right things in the right way. Because no one likes getting blindsided by what you don't know but somehow should or getting stuck paying for it later. Think of it as a mini MBA and school of hard knocks wrapped in one and on steroids. This is Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hassel-Kelchner. Brought to you by Business MO LLC. Olala Ninjenga is an award-winning strategist who, as CEO of Yellowwood Group LLC, helps business owners and business leaders drive better business results faster. She's shared her unique perspective about strategy, modern marketing, and leadership to audiences across the United States. She has the distinction, for example, of being a Ford's Brain Trust member and a featured small business expert for the Washington Post, as well as a trusted resource for other major media outlets such as the New York Times, the BBC, NPR, Marketplace, and Fox News, just to name a few. Besides being a highly successful entrepreneur, Olala also holds two appointments by the governor of North Carolina, both focused on representing the needs of small business owners. This is where it gets really exciting. She holds the small business seat on the Governor's Advisory Council for Small and Historically Underutilized Businesses, where she's the chair of the Small Business Needs and Assessments Committee. She also serves as the vice chair of the NC Works Commission and serves as the chair of their Strategic Planning Committee. In these two roles, she makes recommendations on policies and strategies to enable businesses and its workforce to compete globally. That's why I'm so thrilled to have her on the show today. She has a deep understanding of both sides of the desk. She gets business and she has a very important seat at the policymaking table that can help us cut through the red tape of figuring out what's what. It is such an extreme honor and privilege to welcome her to the show today. Welcome to Business Confidential Now, Olala. Thank you for having me, Hannah. I'm excited about being here. Well, I'm excited to learn more about these government programs that are out there that can help small businesses and medium-sized business for that matter. Because, you know, when people use the word government and business in the same sentence, it feels like mixing oil and water. But <laughs> you come you come at it differently. So tell me more. Um, I do come at it differently. And, and I do think that a lot of information historically has been there's a separation between the public sector and the private sector. So the government is government and enterprise is enterprise. And what I've uh, enjoyed seeing over the past decade is more of an enmeshment of the two, where the government has been more transparent about access and access points if you're interested in growing your business. And that that's really kind of how I became an enthusiast about all things small business is, is just kind of peeling back the layers of that onion and really working through the, the microcosm that we call um, our federal government system and then drilling it down to the state level. So I think it is an exciting time. 
um, we have a we have a bit to go. I mean, there's still some layers of it that can be a little cumbersome, but for the small business that's really focused, that's really excited about growing, particularly in four key areas of growth, the government can be a tremendous resource if you look at its economic development policies. Well, this is interesting. You talk about access points, and you talk about four key areas of growth. Let's explore those. Tell me okay. about those. Okay. So when small businesses say they want to grow, in general, they're really thinking capital. So they're thinking dollars. But in fact, there's four components to growth. So you can expand your capabilities, which means that you're bringing more products and services to the marketplace. You can expand your capacity, which means you are expanding your workforce and you need access to greater, greater talent. You can expand your profitability, which which is kind of standard, um, and you can expand your presence. You can expand how you reach your customers and where you reach them, whether it be nationally or internationally. And so growth is not just about making more money as a small business, but it's really about looking at that entire 360 landscape to make a decision about what area of the business or what combinations of, of areas you really want to grow, and that helps you figure out where you want to tap in. So let me give you a, a, a concrete example. We expanded the company many years ago into a new market, and you can do all that research internally, and this is where people get kind of tripped up with business plans and things like that. And I have my own feelings about whether or not a business plan is the right tool if you're really looking at expansion. But in the state of North Carolina, um, we have something called the Economic Development Partnership of North Carolina. And so all that legwork, all that analysis, um, all that access that you need is housed in this agency. And it's available to you at absolutely no cost. So you could, be, you could spend as a business owner two or three years banging your head up against the wall. You could spend time with your accountant trying to draw projections and forecasts. Where, or you can make an appointment and literally walk in to the Economic Development Partnership, and there are people there who have this information on tap to help you make better decisions faster about what area of your business really requires uh, resources to expand and what can you get away with before you have to put more resources into the business. And that's just one example in one state. Wow. That is really <laughs> powerful. I mean, just think about the shortcut and the time it saves doing research if you've got these experts available. And, and all you have to do is make an appointment, a phone call? That's it. I mean, that's it. I mean, everything from import-export um, with international trade, market research, process improvement, and workforce recruitment. And, and I want to just kind of speak to that one just for a minute because anyone who knows me knows that workforce workplace initiatives as they impact small business is kind of really my hot button. Um, when small businesses want to grow and they need access to capital, one of the misnomers that I've found is that we think more money is what they're interested in, like they want to borrow more money. But the bane of most small business owners is actually access to talent. And so anytime you can tap into government resources to get a motivated, highly skilled, qualified bank of people who are ready to take the job you have open, 
that's a win, not just for the small business owner, but it's a win for the communities that it impacts. It's a win for the state. And that's really the thing that I think it's like the best kept secret of most states is that there are typically workforce recruitment and training programs available at zero cost, Hannah, absolutely zero cost, which is why I get so excited about the work that I do with NC Works because this is information that even though it's widely available, the access points to get that information, just they're just not known to the average small business owner. And so this is really kind of a whole new way for them to access talent and grow their, both their capability and their capacity. And there's tons of programs that will subsidize the cost of being able to onboard those workers and lessen the impact um, of being able to get those workers up to speed and fruitful employees. So it's very exciting. All right. Walk me through this here. I'm an employer. Okay. <laughs> and I'm, you know, seriously, because I, I'm sure there are people listening going, whoa, like, you know, they're trying to absorb this. Like, this sounds too good to be true. I so, know, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. But that, I mean, that's the whole point and why I wanted to have you on the show, because when I heard about some of this, I'm like, this is powerful information that can really help transform some businesses. And, and for some, it could be a big transformation because they can absorb more employees. And for others, it could be small. But what, what I found so valuable here is that you can have sort of this partnering with the state in helping you absorb some of these costs, which, you know, for small and even mid-sized business, actually any business that is, is responsible about managing their finances needs to be conscious about their budget. And, and so having somebody that can help transition that and lessen that blow and the hit to your bottom line is not something to be ignored. So let's walk through this for a second, okay? Let's sure. say I am looking to hire somebody with some... Um, technical experience, some computer experience, because, Uh you know, things happen. I'm sure everybody's had the upgrade that has just totally changed your screen and you're going, what happened here, right? (laughs) Okay. And so you can spend six hours figuring it out or you could call somebody. Wouldn't it be nice to have somebody just in-house that you can say, hey, come on, can you fix this for me? And let's make sure everybody else is up to speed to know where things are. All right. So how would I go about finding somebody with that type of experience? Okay. So this example is going to be true for most of the states in the United States. They may call it something a little bit different. For, for the state of North Carolina, it comes out of the Department of Commerce, but it's our workforce development uh, initiatives, or now we call them career centers. So every state has some form of a career center. So I'm just going to back up just for a quick second so that I, I can help you know, your audience really kind of understand why it's the best-kept secret. Traditionally speaking, when we look at career centers or workforce development, we think people who don't have a job. So if you're an employer, you're not necessarily thinking about people who don't have a job. You're thinking, I need to expand our capacity and our capability, so you go the traditional route. So you ask for referrals or you tap into you know, uh, firms that can help you fill that talent. We don't really think of the government as being a screening agency, if you will, to help us find people who want to take the job we have open. And so there's kind of that first, that first barrier as to why people don't think of the government. So for us, we have NC Works career centers. Um, there's about 80 of them across our state that you can access. 
And if you have an opening, particularly if it's for a specialized skill, specialized training, you can work through the career center, identify a job spec, so you write out a specification for the job, and if you don't have one, have no fear, they will help you write one. You get the job spec, and then you narrow down the job qualifications. They can take those qualifications, put them into the database. So you sign up as an employer. It costs nothing to sign up as an employer, and it costs nothing to participate if you're a job seeker. They can take those specifications, they can take those qualifications, put them into the database, and get you a percentage of match. So if you say, I only want to see applicants who match at least 85% of what I'm looking for, then that's all you will see. And so the career centers are designed to match you, literally match employers with people who are actively looking for roles that match what you have. So let's say you have a component of it that's some specialized training, but that training would serve the larger community well. So maybe there's a disproportionate number of companies that have that same need, but they've been covering it maybe in-house out of their own pocket. You can partner with the state and in many cases the local community college system to design a customized training program. And while you're getting that new employee onboarded, over a period of 90 days. Now, it, the amount is different for every state, but here in North Carolina, that, um, that subsidy amount is up to $10,000. That's offsetting the cost of onboarding that person to give them the training that they need so that they can hit the ground running in that business and help that business thrive and succeed with minimal downtime. And that's been the bane of small business, is we hire someone, but we really need them to be able to produce within the first 30 to 90 days. We don't, we don't have an incubation period that we can afford to wait. And so that program where you receive that subsidy for that specialized training is designed to offset the impact, the financial impact that most businesses would have to absorb internally, which just would not work for small business. But the kicker here is big businesses know these programs exist. And they've been partnering with college systems and community college systems for years. It's small business and mid-sized businesses that don't know these programs exist. And they're sitting right there costing us absolutely nothing to take advantage of. Ironically, you're paying for it already through your taxes, so you might as well yes, take advantage Yes, and I re- of it. I'm so glad you said that, and I didn't want to, because I didn't want to sound sarcastic because <laughs> saying it was the truth of the matter is, that's if my you job. have a company in your state and you're filing taxes, you're already funding it, and it's right there for you. And so that's kind of my bandwagon. I wish I could just, like, you know, get a big purple bus and just travel across the country and just let small businesses know that those those programs are there. Um, you can access them normally through something like a Small Business and Technology Development Center or the SBTDC, as we call them. You can uh, access them through the small business centers of most community colleges. You can access them through economic development agencies. And a, and a little known, a uh, little unknown, excuse me, fact is you can access a lot of those programs through your state chamber. So most people are familiar with um, town-associated chambers of commerce. But if you go to like the South Carolina State Chamber, the North Carolina State Chamber, or, you know the District of Columbia State Chamber, 
those entities have access to a lot of these programs, but we don't think of going to a state chamber because when we think of chambers, we normally think of, you know, the one-to-one, the FaceTime at the very local level. If you want to dig into these programs, you really need to identify agencies that have access and access points at the state level. That's really where the nuggets of gold are, and that's what I think a lot of small businesses where, where we miss out is we don't know to go a little bit higher. We don't know to go macro when we're looking for help because it's a very local problem when we have a job opening. We don't think to tap someone at the state level to solve our very local community level problem. Right. It sounds counterintuitive. Doesn't it, though? And that's exactly why <laughs> somehow along the way over the past few years, you know, I've kind of been that person. Um, first, it started out sharing it just with clients, like, hey, do you know you can tap into this or tap into that? And they'd go to their accountant or they'd go to their attorney and say, hey, Olala said, you know, I could get access to this. And many times um, those trusted advisors didn't even know that those programs existed. So I found myself kind of sharing new information with people, quite frankly, I thought already knew that those programs existed. And boy, was I surprised to find out this was not only new information, but people were bowled over. Like, how do you even know this? Like, you know, why isn't it like plastered on a billboard somewhere? And I can't answer that. I can't speak to, you know, why it isn't advertised a little bit differently, but I can speak to the fact that those programs do exist. Um, There's lots of opportunity, particularly if you want to hire, that are coming out the uh, Work Innovation Opportunity Act at the federal level. Um, Some people kind of uh, think of it as as an extension of the JOBS Act. But those are some of those policy things that small business owners typically don't pay attention to because we tend to lump politics and policy in the same bucket. And you really can't afford to do that as a small business owner. You must separate them because policies are the things that you have to keep your eye on because those are the things that impact our day-to-day business. That's worth repeating because it's it's so true. Most people do lump it together, especially now that we're in this election year and it's a very heated contest because the policies are the things that endure and they may get tweaked from time to time. And we hope our politicians do the right things in creating and putting the right policies in place. But the policies do make a difference for day to day. And if we just kind of ignore it because we're upset about politics then we're really shortchanging ourselves. Absolutely. And, and what's really scary about that is, is that the average small business owner is working hard, you know, shoulder to the grindstone, oftentimes very overwhelmed, you know, just by the day-to-day things, making payroll, trying to make sure that the doors stay open, you try to make sure that they have, you know, enough left over to even take care of themselves and their own family, trying to be good stewards in the community. You're really trying to do their fair share and beyond. And so oftentimes they're, they're getting sound bites of information. So there's the pieces that they hear. Maybe it's a little bit from the news. Maybe it's a little bit that they've read on the Internet. Maybe it's a little bit that they've heard through the grapevine that's been kind of watered down or in some cases um, even the truth has been kind of bastardized to the point that, You really don't understand, like, well, what really is the nugget of the truth? So they don't have the time, or in some cases the energy even, to do their own due diligence, to do the research and find out, well, how does this really affect me? And right now, just going from 2015 into 2016, this is a a great example of what scares me about kind of the state of small business. 
we have plus or minus 3,000 proposed new regulations that would go into effect across the year, across 2016. So they were brought up in 2015. They've carried into 2016. And while I can't keep up with all 3,000 of them, there are a couple that impact the day-to-day operations of a small business, like when we look at things like worker classification, the Department of Labor. At the, at the federal level, the Department of Labor is constantly tweaking the definition of an employee. It's becoming much more stringent, meaning it's becoming more difficult for small businesses to say that someone is an independent contractor. Every time they adjust that definition, you have to pay attention to make sure you're not in violation. Most small business owners find out when they go to do their taxes and their accountant pulls something or their lawyer pulls something and says, uh-oh, we may have a problem. It happened to a colleague of mine who ended up having to convert 46 people over to employees as opposed to independent contractors. So employee classification, um, things like privacy and security, lots of legislation going on right now putting the burden of privacy on employers to safeguard information, both digital information and paper information. So that's just two quick examples of things that are being talked about, regulations that are carrying into just this year alone that the average small business owner is not paying attention to because it's not affecting whether or not they should open their, open their you know, store at 9 a.m. versus 10 a.m. Or, or just simple things like that. And those are the things that we need to be talking about at a much broader scale and informing small business owners that that there's policies happening. They need to be writing. Their senators, their congressmen, write the president if you need to. I mean, these are coming from at the federal level. The government needs to hear from average small business owners to say enough is enough. It's becoming cumbersome and burdensome to be a business owner in the United States. And that's why those programs, having access to those programs, is so important because we cannot compete with the global economy if we can't figure out what resources are available to us and then tell the government, stop doing this, this is too burdensome. Stop giving us more paperwork. Stop giving us more hoops to jump through. I mean, something as simple as like changing the date that you have to get um, your W-2 files. Um, They've backed up that date, and so now everything has to be closed out. You have to reconcile your books, get the W-2 forms done by January 31st. We used to have until February. That may not feel like a big deal to, you know, a company with 200 employees, but if you have five employees and everyone's on vacation and you're holding down the store, that's a big deal. That that difference of six weeks is a big deal to you as a small business owner. So that's just a couple of examples, like right off the top of my head, of policies, everyday policies that happen that can trip us up if we're not paying attention to it as small business owners. Well, and I think that you've hit on something that goes even a little bit deeper. Big businesses, they've got departments where people are dedicated to doing nothing but tax, for example, so that they, they get those notices. They, they're like, oh, yeah, the date exactly. changed, and, and they put that in their calendar, and, and they work with it. But the smaller companies, the midsize that aren't as departmentalized, and certainly the smaller teams, like you said, you know, somebody has five employees, one person wears how many hats? And they, exactly. they are overwhelmed. That's part of the nature of the beast. That's part of the excitement and the thrill of being an entrepreneur. You know, people thrive <laughs> on it at the same time. But it's a two-edged sword because without 
some systems in place to track these, they can suddenly get blindsided by changes in definition, changes in deadlines. And you know a little bit what I do besides this program. And it's about the legal literacy and not even recognizing some of those basic building blocks that when it comes to employee classification, you don't get to flip a coin and say, oh, I'm just going to make them all independent contractors. (laughs) going to make my bookkeeping easier. You know, there's a definition and there are criteria. And if you don't meet those criteria, then guess what? You don't have that choice. So some people don't realize that. They think that's just, they'll skirt it. And the thing is, one day it catches up. And when it does, there's a big amount due. (laughs) It's not pretty. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And I love that you use the word blindsided because that word parlays beautifully um, into some research that um, the Pew Research Center did about the levels of um, frustration versus anger with the with the government as a whole. I, I really believe that that blindsided component that impacts small business has a lot to do with our elevated levels of frustration. So right now we've got some data that su- suggests as much as 57% of, of folks are genuinely frustrated compared to 22% who are angry. So what frustrates Americans more than anything is feeling like we've been blindsided, feeling like the government is um, somehow creating unnecessary hurdles, and feeling like the government is detached from the day-to-day living. And so I think sometimes what happens with small business owners is that the government sees the greater good, right, so all of the people. But within that greater good are these small business owners who, who really kind of live these two lives. We want to be participatory in our communities. We want to help them grow, help them thrive. We want to create jobs. We want to make sure we're doing our part. And then we go back to our regular life where we're just, you know, a husband or a wife or a sister or a brother. And so, and then there's our role in terms of our family and our civic and social responsibilities. Our frustration level comes when we get blindsided in one area of life and it impacts another area of life. And that's, that's the double-edged sword, you know, it's kind of to use your expression, that a small business owner lives with every single day. What may be good for their business may not be good on a civic or social level for their community. And so we're constantly walking this tightrope of, well, does this make sense across the board? And because we don't have an across-the-board definition for small business, and here's another kind of stickling, stickling point, is in general, if you were to give a number, the SBA would say, well, less than 500 employees is small. But the truth is, is that what constitutes a small business is actually broken down by industry. So we have no less than 300 variants of what the number is to classify a business as a small business based on its industry. But here's what we do know across the board that the largest rate of job growth are companies that employ 100 or less employees. There are a couple of key states, North Carolina included, where the fastest rate of new job growth is 50 employees or less. And so when we choose to say things like, we're going to require workers' compensation for a minimum of 10 workers, or we're going to require more stringent background check for companies that employ at least 25 people, when we do that, the argument that most business owners could make once we're trying to grow and, and add additional capacity to their workforce, the argument could be made 
that it becomes unnecessarily burdensome to grow because of the new hurdles that you must jump through in order to adhere to policy changes. So we look at it kind of backward. As a small business owner, it's, it's happening to me, whereas we really do get an opportunity to have a voice and a vote at the front of it, but we have to know that things are going in as bills. You know, this is why I keep my eye on um, things that happen out of the um, Senate Small Business and Entrepreneurship Committee because that's where Bill, that's public information. You have to dig a little to find it, but that's public information to let you know what bills are being tossed around, and you get a bill number, and you can follow the progression of those bills. Now, I'm not suggesting that every small business owner has the time or the inclination to do that. If there is an area of your business that you're particularly concerned about, let's say like healthcare, you can search for bills that particularly respond to issues around healthcare. For me, it's going to be workforce and workplace issues, so anything from the Department of Labor, things like that, because that's the largest um, expense line to a small business is people. We need people. We love people. We want to do right by people. It also makes us top-heavy. It's the most top-heavy area you know, on your P&L. And so I pay attention to that number because that's the number that – kind of sits at the heart of most small businesses. Now, so where would they really research that? Important. They can research that right at the, um, Senate, at the Senate and the House. Um, just look for a Small Business and Entrepreneurship Committee. There's two separate committees. One, I believe, is a little more active than the other. And the list of the open bills is right there. Very good. We've covered a number of valuable resources, and I am going to do my best to put some of those links on our episode page so that people will know some keywords or some phrases to search because not everybody's in North Carolina, but as you pointed out, their individual states or countries may have similar programs. So if they have an idea of what to search for, they should be able to locate those and at least start asking the right questions to the right people in order to tap into these, these different access points and help their businesses grow. So I really appreciate your explaining this or peeling back the onion for us a little bit. And quick question before we wrap up here. How did you get involved with this policy work, Olala? I mean, you've got such an interesting <laughs> background. What, what are your, some, do you have an influencer you could share with us? Oh, wow. Um, I, I'm, I really get influenced by every person that I meet and different places that I go. So, sure, as, you know, people like Condoleezza Rice and Colin Powell, I admire them a great deal, mostly because of courage. You know, they served at a time where our country was, was a bit tumultuous um, and really looked to uh, maintain integrity under difficult times. And, and that's really what influences me, is people who stand on principle, Um, and principality and um, values when it's easier to kind of buckle um, and not say anything or or do anything. But I I guess I really really got kind of bit by that bug in 2012, a very uh, uncomfortable election for a lot of people for a lot of different reasons. And I started looking at how the choices that we were going to make in the 2012 election, how it was going to impact both my family and my business, because at that time I had two children who were going to be going into college um, because my son was a kind of a leap year baby, I call him. He leaped over a year in high school and created this this stopgap for my husband and I. And so I had to look at how I ran my company and how I ran my own personal household differently. 
And I really started to get frustrated that what made sense for my business from a policy standpoint may not make sense for my family and then vice versa. And that one little nugget just kind of snowballed into um, an overwhelming enthusiasm for how policies kind of sneak past us under the radar and we don't pay attention to them. And because we don't pay attention to them, we end up blindsided um, and unnecessarily blindsided. So, you know, I get influenced by that. I get influenced by places that I go, um, you know, particularly Kenya. Um, I learned a lot about how ignorant I, I really was about the nuances of culture and how culture really does matter, and you have to pay attention to the idiosyncrasies of culture, just like politics as a culture, small business as a culture, big business as a culture. Um, so I'm kind of influenced by anything that I have interaction with because I believe in this philosophy called imprinting, that everything that you interact with imprints on you. Um, the answers for all the questions that we have, whether it's business or life, are kind of inside of us. But when something imprints on us, it's like a key that unlocks it. And all of a sudden, a lot of things just start to make sense. They kind of sit up in the highest form of our imagination. And it gives you the space to really think about what if. And once that happened for me, I just, I just kind of stayed there, Hannah. I just kind of stayed in that, in that macro thinking of, well, what if? And it's brought me here. It's brought me to a place where I just pay more attention to the policies that affect small business. Um, even abroad, even with, um, you know, programs like the Regional Growth Fund in Europe, a uh, great fund if you're looking to grow. That, that's one of the places it kind of took me, was trying to figure out the role of government when European countries, uh, excuse me, when European small businesses want to grow uh, in those countries. So I just kind of live in that space of suspended opinion. Don't have an opinion about everything. Um, just kind of live in a space where you're open to access and access points that can help you live better um, in increase your quality of life, grow your company, uh, increase the impact that you make on the world at large. And I think the world would be a better place if we kind of did a little bit more of that instead of pointing fingers and being angry at the mainstream media all the time. <laughs> well, I admire your courage and applaud your ability and willingness to stand up and be the voice of small business in this policymaking process. Because I think there's an assumption by the people that have their nose to the grindstone that, I, look, I'm doing my thing. I don't have time for it. I'm assuming mm -hmm. that they're doing the right thing. And in reality, if somebody's a career policymaker, they don't have the hands-on experience that you do from having run your own business, created your own business from the ground up. And there's an information gap. Yeah. So I'm glad that you're there to, to fill Thank it in. Thank you for standing up for us. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm enjoying it. I've got my fair share of bumps and bruises, but I'm enjoying it. I just bring knee pads and a helmet. There you go. <laughs> there you go. And I hope that this has been a positive experience because I've really loved this conversation. Thank you so Thank much, Amala. I appreciate it. Giving you the inside scoop on how to ignite more business success by doing the right things in the right way. Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hassel-Keltner. Brought to you by Business MO LLC. Thank you for joining me today on Business Confidential Now. You can get more information about today's guest and the resources we mentioned during today's show in the episode notes that are located on our website, businessconfidentialradio.com. Sometimes we even include some bonuses and goodies, so be sure to check it out. 
That website again is businessconfidentialradio.com. And also don't forget to subscribe to the show. That is the easiest way to keep up with the show and our guests, those thought leaders, experts, and authors who are transforming businesses behind closed doors around the world. Let them help you too. Subscribe today for easy access to the business information you need to succeed. You know, the reason we call the show Business Confidential now is because you don't have time to wait. So just do it. Subscribe now and leave a review. We want to hear from you. We want you to be part of our growing Business Confidential Now family. Tell your friends and colleagues so they can subscribe too. Because the more subscribers we have, the more great guests we can bring you. And the more business intelligence you'll have available to ignite and fuel your continued business success. Have an idea or a topic, a guest that you'd like to hear on Business Confidential Now? Contact me at the website, businessconfidentialradio.com. And connect with me on social media, too. We'd love to hear from you and stay in touch. Next week, Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hazel-Kelchner will be back with more of the business intelligence and inside scoop you need to succeed. Till then. <music>